0: I'm Dr. Michelle McMurray-Heath, and you are listening to I Am Bio. We are on a summer break as we work to bring you another exciting season this fall. So for the next few weeks, we're sharing some of our favorite sessions from the June 2021 BioDigital Conference. Today, check out our episode on fighting the climate crisis through supply chain sustainability, a conversation featuring myself, Lord David Pryor, Chair of the United Kingdom's National Health Service, and Victor Zal, President of the National Academy of Medicine.
1: Good morning. I'm Dana O'Brien, the Chief Sustainability Officer and Deputy COO at BIO. Uh, I want to welcome you to BIO Digital and welcome you to this conversation on the convergence of environmental and human health and the responsibilities of industry and government to meet our climate crisis with gusto. I suspect that most of you, like I, have reflected a lot during this pandemic. We've had unique opportunity to do so over the past 15 months. I've reflected on many things, as I suspect you have as well. The fragility of life, the value of love and respect for our families and neighbors, the appreciation of our frontline food and health workers, the wonder of scientific breakthroughs that this event is discussing, and frankly, the beauty of our natural world, the living environment in which we all enjoy and frequently take for granted. I am appearing with you virtually from the state of Maine, the pine tree state, if you will, just an hour north of Boston where our convention would have been live and in-person had COVID not changed the course of all our lives. It's been a joy living and working from Maine for much of the pandemic, experiencing the outdoors, the sky, the sand, the trees, the farms, probably more than I have since my youth in Missouri. Being more embedded in nature has reinvigorated my respect for our environment and the obligations we have as human beings to protect it and defend it. I'm excited about today's conversation with this great panel that we have here with us. I I love that the tools of biology and technology are yielding climate positive innovations in agriculture and manufacturing to help industries better meet their sustainability obligations. I'm proud that bio is a unique home for this conversation, a place where environmental and human health meet. We're going to have this conversation in two parts. First, we'll talk with Lord David Pryor, the head of the UK National Health Service about the amazing work that's going on in the UK on the issues of sustainability and climate.
2: Okay, so my my name is David Pryor, I'm chairman of uh, NHS England. Uh, The NHS is a uh, public universal healthcare system covering the lives of around 60 million people in the UK and providing healthcare for about 60 million people uh, in the UK. Uh, It is free for everybody. It is fully tax funded. So it's a very, very different system to the one that you're used to in the US. It has many strengths. It also has many weaknesses, as indeed I think all health systems do. Uh, but they do share one; they all have one thing in common, which is that they are highly complex and very different to any other industrial or economic entity that I've ever been involved with.
1: Thank you for that. The first thing we asked, um, we talked about the other day, was was the COVID pandemic and really the intersection of environmental health and the health of our families and ourselves. And it's, I think, something that not everyone always thinks of, but it's an important one. So could you talk a little bit about your observations around the interconnection of environmental
2: health and our own health? Well, I'll answer that question uh, in a slightly roundabout way if I can which is the great similarity between the COVID pandemic and climate change, which is the issue we're really talking about today, is that we know it's happening, or we know it may happen, but we do nothing about it until it's right on top of us. And the lack of preparedness for this pandemic, this COVID pandemic in the US or in the UK or Anywhere in the world, really, has outside Asia, has been really. It ought to, It ought to ring a huge wake-up call for us all. Because if the mortality rate of COVID had been ten percent, not one percent, uh, if it had taken five years to get a vaccine rather than one year, uh, the world would be a very, very different place. And so if there's one message that comes out of this is that it's a stitch in nine saves nine. You know, you need to repair the roof when the sun is shining, you know, not when the storm is raging, Uh, because democracies have shown just how chaotic the response is to a crisis. And if you think of climate change in that context, my goodness, we better start work on it now and not just hope for the best
1: and we could very well see another pandemic because of climate change
2: yeah i think it's inevitable actually mm-hmm. i I, th- I think it's too late to avoid it we have now to mitigate it and prepare for it but the this this is going to make climate change is going to make covid look like a picnic in the park frankly yeah. and there's nothing we can do about climate change within a year as we have done with COVID, with with the development of the vaccines, this is going to be a 20, 30 year program. I was very struck by, um, John Kerry was giving an interview the other day when he said, look, probably 50% of the innovations that we need to deal with climate change have not yet been invented. And that's probably true. But you can't rely just on innovation and science coming to the rescue at the last minute which is actually the message I took a bit from Bill Gates' book, you know, that we, if we rely too much on the future scientific uh, innovation, um, then that might lead us to a degree of complacency about what we do today. There are things we can do today in health systems, in pharma, in biotech, in, in all our industries, which will mitigate the size of the problem in years to come. So the real message from COVID, I think, is don't wait till it's too late.
1: Do you think, well, in the United States, I can say the climate change crisis um, has been wrought with politics and it's been difficult to gain traction. I think that's less the case in other countries so that there's been more of more commitment there. But do you feel like the people, the politicians that represent the people are are seeing this connection between environmental health and human health and are willing to take the sacrifices that need to be taken to, to address climate change. So we're do we're, we're addressing it head on early, like you suggest.
2: Well, it's a good question. I mean, democracy has many benefits, as we know. It has some downsides. Uh, and you know, freedom, individual freedom, is a It's a wonderful thing, and in America, it is rightly regarded as being very important. And so, therefore, there will always be a tension between what governments think is best for us and what we think is best for ourselves. So that's why the response to the crisis was so different, uh, to the COVID crisis, was so different in the US than it was in China, for example. But you have to ask yourself two things. Would you rather live in China or the US? And I can answer that question, question without much hesitation. And secondly, when it does come to innovation, you know, America is unbelievably successful. And, um, and actually the UK has done pretty well in that regard um, in, in recent years. And so I, I do think that for all the frustrations of a democracy and the inability to act as one, if you like, Mm -hmm. Uh, The benefits far outweigh, you know, that single state, highly status, highly centralized approach. And in the end, I have to believe, as Francis Fukuyama spelled out in the the US at the end of the 1990s, that we haven't got to the end of history. But actually, I do believe that the democratic, liberal, capitalist societies, in the end, will deal with this better uh, than other societies.
1: I know that you've been thinking a lot about this issue of climate change and sustainability as, as it relates to your current role at NHS and the responsibility of the healthcare system to really take charge and address these issues directly and boldly. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you're doing at NHS and, and, and the great work that
2: is ensuing there? Yes, I think you have to understand that, and Americans wouldn't always appreciate this, that the, the National Health Service is an iconic organisation in the UK. It, it is the one institution uh, which is available to everybody, you know, rich or poor, high and low, if you like. And, and it is, increasingly, it is almost the only institution where everyone is in it together, if you like. Um you Know we've, we've we've in many other respects we've very much followed the American model. You know, you if you're rich, you get you can buy your way out of trouble. But in the in in healthcare, you know, we are all in it together, and so it has a so it has a societal importance uh, that goes beyond its sort of economic importance or its industrial performance or its narrow health um importance. So, therefore you know, we can affect behaviours uh, because our you know our brand is so powerful. And therefore, when the NHS um, takes a stand on climate change, for example, getting to... Z- I mean, our, we have a very clear plan to get to zero, uh, net zero carbon emissions by, by 2040. It sends out a big message. Now, that we wouldn't do that if that was against the flow of where the public is already headed. And, and all the... All the um, sort of polling that we've done shows that nine out of ten people absolutely support this. This is not because of there's a direct, immediate link between climate change and healthcare. Although, of course, in respiratory medicine, there, there are in respiratory medicine and, and there are some there are some links, because actually we all want to live in a sustainable, beautiful environment. And okay, you could say there's a link there with mental health maybe, but actually it is not the direct link, link with, with healthcare that is driving this. It is it, it's a much broader uh, view of most people that we have inherited this extraordinary planet um, with all this diversity and beauty, and we don't want to foul it up. Yeah,
1: I think that's that's a common theme um, we're hearing from businesses around the country, around the world, um, bio members that are making commitments to net zero, both in the biopharma space, but also in the bio ag and in the industrial biotechnology, green manufacturing um, yeah. sector, if you will. I think one of one of what Dr. Michelle McMurray Heath um, one one of her real goals is to play matchmaker and make sure that our biopharma companies are connecting with those green manufacturing companies that can really be, I think, drivers for replacing some of the petroleum-based products that our yeah. pharma sector uses. Um, Dr, Dr. Zhao from the National Academy of Medicine is is leading an initiative here. He's be- just beginning it around greening the, the, the supply chain. Um, sort of thinking about what incentives we might be able to push for from a policy perspective as well as just good business behavior.
2: Are you all engaging um, both in, the, yeah. in that yeah. way too? Yeah, I mean, we, we have a very clear, it's more than a strategy, it's a plan that we, we will be at net zero as a health system by 2040 and our supply chain will be, if they want to be in our supply chain, they will be at net zero by 2045. And I should say that we are pushing, by and large, against an open door on this. See, the big tech companies in the US, like, and I pick up um, Apple and, and Microsoft, for example, frankly, they are ahead of the game on this. I mean, they they are, I mean, I mean, Microsoft is going to recover all the net, car- all the carbon they were emitted by 2040, I think, or 2035, I mean, so, you know, the, these big American companies are, are right at the head of the queue on this. We are not, we are pushing against an open door. I, re- I firmly believe that.
1: I was going to ask also, um, the United Kingdom is hosting COP26 this year. So that's an, obviously another great opportunity to raise these issues um, about supply chain responsibilities, both in the health sector and, I would say, at large. Um, can you talk a little bit about your all's expectations around COP26 from an NHS perspective?
2: Well, we will be at COP26 and we'll be there with quite a few of our major suppliers as well. And we don't quite yet know what the, the stance of the UK government will be but they will be out front on this. I mean, we're going to be. I mean, if you look at, what, at the commitments that the UK have made on getting rid of diesel and petrol out of the well, getting rid of the internal combustion engine is essentially what they're doing. So I'm hoping that we are going to get a a very strong agreement at COP26 um, to get um, to, to to net carbon by 2040. If we can bring it back earlier than 2050, at any rate. Um, and it, I'm, and I, I think that this, it, could, it, is a ch- it is an opportunity to really put a stake in the ground. It's very easy for companies or indeed countries to make commitments that those people making the commitments won't be around to deliver on them. But we're now getting into a time period of maybe 10 or so years where people can be really held to account. So it won't just be empty words in, a, in an annual report. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: So I know we're running we're running um, up against time. So what I want to do is just offer you an opportunity to give us a call to action for, for the, the hundreds or thousands of people who might be watching this program and this conversation. Do you have a, a message for them, a, a call to action, something to spur their own person personal beliefs
2: or their, their corporate beliefs into action? Well, we have a a, an old-fashioned saying over here that fine words butter no parsnips i don't know if that translates into american very well but the time for words is over frankly i mean we can talk ourselves um into a dead end if we're not careful i mean the time is running out uh, and i think it's up to all of us you know business leaders health leaders doctors but individual citizens to take some real responsibility for this. I mean, I mean, it, 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 look, look, Earth is a miracle. The fact that we are all here is a miracle. And if we don't sort this out, this miracle, this wonderful creation, is going to be destroyed. And I mean, I was in like my, my garden at the weekend. You know, the birds were singing, the flowers are out. It was the darling buds of May, spring. Um, all this is at risk. And the consequences of not getting this right will be catastrophic uh, for mankind and for everything else that lives on this earth. So this is our chance. And it's our generation who have got a chance to put this right. So stop talking about it. And get on with it. I think is my message.
1: Now let's turn to the rest of the panelists. So without further ado, I'm gonna ask each of the panelists to introduce herself or himself. After the intros, I'll have a series of questions to get the conversation going, pull valuable perspective uh, from the group. So we'll start with my boss, Dr. Michelle McMurray-Heath, a visionary and transformative leader who just began her second year at Bios Helm, someone who always has the best of society front of mind. I'll turn it over to you, Dr. Michelle, to give a little bit of an intro and then uh, we'll go around the room.
0: Thank you so much, Dana. You're too kind. I'm Michelle McMurray-Heath, President and CEO of BIO. And what I love about BIO is that we bring all of these key sectors together, not just so that they can really improve the world, but also learn from each other. And this is one of those spaces where I think um, our different sectors are really synergistic.
3: Dr. Uh, Zhao? so i'm very happy to be here and great fan of michelle and of course uh active in bio certainly in my previous life and still am i was on the board of genzyme medtronic and uh alnitum uh so i'm right now at the national of medicine for those who don't know this organization many of you do it used to be called the institute of medicine or iom and uh, NAM now is one of the three academies that make up the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. Uh, we were found under the Charter of, nine, of 1863 by, by Congress and Abraham Lincoln to be the nonprofit independent organization that advised, that advised the nation. Uh, over the years, of course, we expanded to advise globally and do a lot more than advising. Just the government, and so our activities have a lot of relevance to the bio and everything that you do. Uh, if I, if you permit for a few minutes, I'll just tell you, very briefly. I think many of us know us as the organization that wrote the report to As Human, that was 1999. That started the whole movement of patient safety and quality. I hope today, when we talk about climate, we're going to have the same movement in the health industry to measure how we do in climate mitigation and others. Uh, We, in fact, in 1988, says we should sequence the human genome way before technology was truly available. And then in 2011, coined the term Precision Medicine in our report, we've done studies such as preparing future products about technology, and most recently, human genome editing having initiated that international summit in DC and then in Hong Kong, where the famous case of, uh, you know, uh, Professor He uh, talked about claiming that he's done it already. And of course, we had two reports on the genome project. I think what we're doing right now, which is relevant to this audience, are two big initiatives. One is called the Committee on Emerging Science, Technology and Innovation, where we really bring together minds to say that these emerging technologies have such impact on society, implications, and other issues, societal, ethical, legal issues. How do we create a framework, governance framework around this? So we have people like um, George Daly, Scott Godley, Rick Klausner, Bautech Digital CEOs, and others social science to come together. We're working on this right now. The second, of course, is what we're going to talk about today, which is our grand challenge in climate on human health and equity. I'll talk some more about this, but we hope to engage many of you, my friends, and to work together on these initiatives. Thank you.
4: Thank you. So hello, everyone. My name is Rohan Mathre, I work at uh, Biogen, and uh, currently I'm the Global Head for Product and uh, Technology Development, and as you heard in the opening remarks from both Michelle and Shurfi, we are a company that pioneers in neuroscience, so working in various areas such as Alzheimer's, ALS, MS, also branching out in areas such as depression and stroke and my group is responsible for developing end-to-end processes so this is taking it all the way from a a late stage research to commercialization and we develop all aspects of the process including devices packaging the product product as well so it's it's a a whole holistic uh, view of it and uh, what's even more important in the last few years is where we focused our efforts and that's really around being able is how we develop our products. And that's where the whole sustainability uh, um, comes in. And it's really figuring out how do you generate the same product quality, but generate far less waste. And it goes to, you know, principles of things like green chemistry and so on, but even taking it further into areas of packaging our products. And I'll talk about that a little bit later, hopefully. And this is enabling sustainable packaging, You know, trying to move away from plastics and so on. So you know, given all of that, I'm, I'm really excited to be part of this panel. I'm looking forward to this discussion. I really want to thank Bio for organizing this, allowing us an opportunity to share some of our ideas and hopefully learn some more. So looking forward to it.
1: Awesome. Thank you for those introductions. That was great. Okay, so I'm gonna toss out question one to the group for discussion. Um, We talked about, I talked about COVID at the beginning. That's obviously a crisis that still is in front of us. It's hopefully on its way out the door for all of our sanity and uh, happiness. But the pandemic itself has taught us things about the interconnection of environmental and human health. I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about that, uh, Doctor Zhao. I know you you've been thinking about this and, and talking through it. We had a great meeting a few weeks ago where this was top of mind. So, what has COVID taught us about how our environment and our health and well being of our lives, our families' lives, are connected?
3: Dana, thank you, particularly for your opening remarks, talking about uh, COVID nineteen. I'll say that from my point of view, COVID pandemic, climate change, and racial inequity are the existential threats of our society. And they all interlink to a large extent. So when we think about uh, COVID-19, three and a half million people dead, millions of people being infected. Obviously, as you said, it's affected all of us. But when you think about climate, Climate actually has even greater impact, if you will, and, you know, the kind of impact that's even more deadly than COVID because climate change is associated with about 20 million deaths a year globally. COVID is 3.5 in this past year. So although people don't see this as urgent because it's somewhere in the background, you know, it's the future generation, it's the planet health, it's actually human health and the sense of urgency. But I think COVID outbreaks and climate are interlinked. So for example, we all know that climate change rise, raise the temperature. Rising temperature causes vectors like mosquito to travel further north and increase vector-borne disease. But climate change also greatly destroys agriculture. And so people are deforesting, cutting down trees to create more farming, and that drives animals much closer to human out of their usual habitat. The best known issue is Ebola. When West Africa did a lot of deforestation, (coughs) the bats started in fact, bringing their zoonotic disease to humans. And of course, if we look at today in (coughs) COVID-19, even though there's a now kind of a debate whether it was laboratory escape or whether it's zoonosis, I would say that Certainly, from my point of view, zoonosis played a big role. If you look at the last two decades, there is SARS, MERS, H1N1, (coughs) West Nile virus, they all zoonotic disease. So irrespective what we're saying is, as climate changes the environment, you increase greatly the chance of transmission from animal to human. That, I think, is the key issue we need to talk about because this will get the interest and the focus of, in my opinion, the public and policy on how urgent it is if you look at what's happening in COVID and how urgent it is if you look at the background of climate change.
1: Thank you, Dr. Zell. Um, Dr. Michelle, any thoughts on that question?
0: Well, you know, it's, it's so interesting. I was reflecting as Victor was speaking that those of us in, in healthcare really see ourselves as out there working to improve human health and protect human health. And yet we often neglect um, what we do in our wake <laughs> as we pursue that very laudable goal. Um, and I think the efforts that Victor's pursuing at the National Academy of Medicine and that Pryor Pryor's pursuing um, with the National Health Service are really trying to say it's time to wake up. We need to realize that in the pursuit of making new medicines and delivering health care, we can't be creating waste that is therefore damaging our planet um, and the health of our children. So this is the opportune time for us to take a new look at whether or not we can improve um, on that record and to try to engineer sustainability into everything we do. We talk about value engineering, but I think sustainable engineering is also key because it's too complicated to reverse engineer sustainability into our product lines. It's very complex and probably, Rohan can speak to this much better than I, it's very important for us to start this from ground zero um, as we go forward.
1: Rohan, any thoughts on the connection between environmental and human health and the COVID crisis?
4: Yeah, I mean, I agree both Victor and Edwin Michelle. I mean, clearly it has highlighted the whole climate and the health issue, but more importantly is the equity and the lack of it. You know, I mean, when you look at the U.S., you have Black American communities, uh, you know, that have been impacted, and a lot of it really comes down to the environment and actually some of the connections that have been made. There was this recent study published by Harvard on um, air pollution and how, Small sort of exposure to 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 particle uh, particulate matter and so on, has really increased the mortality rates due to COVID. And it's it's really communities that are being impacted. As I said, you know, black communities and mm-hmm. other minorities in the U.S. But unfortunately, this is a global phenomenon. I mean, you look at globally, it's really low-income and other marginalized communities. So I mean, this is in some ways it it is. Uh, more than sort of highlighted the, the, this connection, and, and, and importantly, sort of, it's just asking for some action as soon as we possibly can. Yeah. Dr. Zhao,
3: I know you yeah, talked, I know talked about I, I want you to talk jump in. About, I, told yeah. me, I want to jump in and agree with uh, Rowan. I mean, the importance of equity. I mean, what we've found is, in, we all have seen in, in COVID-19, that uh, it's really impacting the vulnerable population, communities of color. And it's unmasked the existing inequities of our society, right? And I think the same goes for climate, because as Rowan said, if you look at air pollution, the people who are living in poor communities, communities of color, have a lot more air pollution than ever. I'm sure you all heard about the asthma alley in the Bronx, where the air pollution is so bad that almost everybody is got asthma related. Again, 90% populations is communities of color. And, and there's data after data showing the inequity. And we know the environmental racism issue at Flint, Michigan, you name it. So I totally agree. So I want to resonate with what Michelle said. It really is about human being. I mean, when we thought we're about our planet, we see pictures of polar bear on a little piece of ice. I'd rather project people of kids who are malnourished who have actually not enough clean water and people are dying. It's really an urgent public health crisis.
0: And Diana, let me just underscore this point because it's it's what we at Bio are calling just science, meaning you can't have justice without science. You know, science is going to be our key to clean water, clean air, nutritious foods, Um, for vulnerable communities, as well as new medicines and interventions that will save lives once they're ill. so all of these um, pursuits of biotechnology are critical to to justice and equity.
3: You know what I've been impressed, Michelle, with bio, is that you're not talking about just biotechnology for human um, treatment, but also agriculture, many other areas because these areas work together. And of course, in climate, these are systems that you need to work with each other. I did hear uh, Jennifer Downer, at one of the meetings saying that they're using genome editing in order to create crops that's more resistant to heat. And you know things like that is certainly the opportunity for your organization to bring together different sectors to address climate change.
0: Yes, most definitely. We have member companies that are using CRISPR. To be able to engineer micro crops that can grow quite easily, perhaps in a hydroponic setting in the middle of an inner city, and deliver more nutritious, more taste appealing, um, more protein rich uh, produce to inner city markets. And and it's those types of building blocks that are so critical. And we're so pleased to have um, Dr. Dalna joining us for for this biodigital meeting as well.
1: We've been working hard over the past few years to really highlight the one health concept at bio which is really what we've been a lot of what we've been talking about over the past few minutes and i think that making sure our policymakers and others see that interconnection as we've been talking about it now is really important because i i'm not sure that they always do and i'm not sure that the american people always do so one question i had was do you think that the the COVID crisis itself, since it's been so monumental and impacted every single person on the whole planet, does it in and of itself provide an opportunity to address these climate issues, which have tended to sometimes get stuck politically? Um, Do you think there's an opening, if you will? Um, Maybe Michelle first
0: on that one? Well, I hope so. Um, You know, one of the things we're seeing with COVID is we're seeing incredible um, giving and partnership and community raising, but we're also seeing a lot of nationalism and um, tribally-based violence um, even against um, Asian American and Pacific Islander communities in the U.S. So we need to be incredibly careful that we seize this opportunity to show how interconnected we are and not fall back on our fear Um, and create greater divisions and separations. And I think that's the hinge by which whether or not this will lead to better approaches to climate change.
1: Rohan, do you have any thoughts there about the opportunity this might provide?
4: I think one of it is, as many experts have pointed out, trying to frame climate change, you know, the lens of of what a public health issue this is, you know. Because I think it's really important. Because, unfortunately, where things have got a bit muddled, it's got politicized, and there's one way to sort of depoliticize this is to kind of link it to what 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 it really comes down to is it's a health crisis, mm. and this is. I mean, I, I think sort of going down this path, you know, global leaders and the industry leaders have sort of pointed this out too. I mean, going through the pandemic thinking about how one could open up the economy, how you do that in a sustainable manner. I think all these learnings that we've had over the past year and a half, uh, because one of the few good things that came out is, is the fact that there was some positive impact on the environment you know, through this crisis. And if we don't sort of figure out from our learnings and leverage this, I think that would be really a step in the wrong direction.
3: Yeah, so if I may, I think that uh, it's a public health crisis, both are. So it's easy for the public to see the link between a crisis of public health, which is an infectious outbreak and the crisis of climate change, which are the kind of things we talked about. But I would be um, optimistic because climate change highlighted how important science is. I mean, your industry, our industry came out with the vaccine solution, right? Record speed. And many of the interventions, even public health, are science-based intervention. So I think that if we really push this idea of the importance of science in solving problems such as this crisis, we could apply the same to climate change. And I guess we're going to talk more about this, but certainly I do believe it's a moment in time where we can use the crisis to show the importance of science. And as Michelle said, the importance of solidarity and multilateralism. A good, I think
1: a good segue to, to the actions that that industry is taking uh, to really address this. Biogen's been a true leader uh, for many years in looking at sustainability as part of its business practices. Sustainability both from a climate perspective, but also from the people perspective as well. If you look at the social governance obligations as well. So m- maybe you could talk a little bit, Ron, about Biogen's leadership and what, what are the real obligations of, of industry writ large? Maybe even in the absence of government action, I would say, and some of these, on some of these issues to really be leaders for the public.
4: Uh, that's, a, that's a really a good and an important question, right? I mean, I feel our industry, particularly healthcare, is really positioned, right, to sort of lead this. And, you know, and, and many companies are, and including Biogen. First of all, I mean, you know, and, and it, it, it's, it's, it's one of the moments of being proud to be a member of this company because we've committed this a while ago. And, uh, you know, it's evident, you know, awards and all are one thing, you know, in terms of the Dow Jones Sustainability Award and, uh, and so on. And, uh, but, but I think what, what's important is the realization that, you know, we achieved carbon neutrality in 2014, but that's in some ways, <laughs> that's sort of not what's going to get us there. And, and really the commitment that's needed as, as we've made maybe you know let's say the first fortune 500 companies and i'm i'm hoping many more will follow is to really be uh you know emission free you know so to get away from fossil fuels really try to enhance and and utilize clean energy throughout the entire operation and 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 really just when you look at that when you look at sort of you know opportunities to work with our suppliers i, I mentioned earlier we're working on 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 principles of green chemistry and all that I think it's just our industry, the environment is right because we understand this element. We understand the implications on healthcare, and uh, some I'm I'm really very hopeful that all members of bio really step up and you know help with this crisis, irrespective of where you know government uh, uh, you know help is or not.
0: And and Rohan, if I could just jump in there as well. Many of the solutions are based in biotechnology. So we have member companies working on biofuels, alternatives to airline fuel, um, alternatives to plastics, um, alternative ways to get food into our cafeterias and to transport um, our products to market. So a lot of these solutions are also based in biotechnology, which makes our companies best positioned to understand which of these solutions will work best for their business models and really apply them. Yeah.
3: Yeah, So if I can jump in to say, totally agree with uh, both Ryan and uh, Michelle, Uh, I would, you know, I said earlier that systems transformation, getting the different sectors which are consumer energy emitting carbon, together to look at decisions together, particularly focus on human health and equity. I talked about uh, science and innovation that can come up with solutions as they are talking about in areas of, you know, reusable packaging, you name it. But I just want to point out one thing, which is what, why we're launching this grand challenge. And thank you, Dana and Michelle, you were both there. Uh, in our big meeting, because what we realize is that the U.S. Um, healthcare industry, that includes uh, pharmaceutical, biotechnology, healthcare itself, and whole bit, uh, as you know, are big consumers of resources, and you know, use up twenty percent GDP, but uh, we, in fact, emit ten percent of the carbon of all of US. That's a huge number. So my feeling is that if Biogen is able to do this and Michelle, your other companies will do this and hospitals are gonna do this, we need to bring everybody together to set a goal towards net zero. So our initiative is called the decarbonization of US sector, where, what is it, about uh, three weeks ago, we brought together Michelle, the CEO of Pharma. Uh, we also have CEO Supply Chain and uh, others, a device company, Medtronic CEO is there, but also CEOs of hospitals, health systems, and policymakers to say, how do we actually meet the goal that Biden's going to set for us for 2030? And I think the only way you can do it is everybody acts like Biogen. If everybody acts like the ones who are really at the front cutting edge to do it together. So my feeling is that although there are exemplars out there, there's not enough. And the only way to meet that is to all of us collectively to set goals together. And that's what we're hoping to do with our grand challenge.
1: You know, we've recently created a sustainability working group at Bio to bring our companies together across the board. Um, Our agriculture companies, our industrial biotech companies, our health companies, big and small, and even some investors, really to try to align them around what we can achieve together to inform really good projects like yours, Dr. Zhao, and the one that Lord Pryor is leading in the UK. And I'm I'm really proud that the US and the UK are, are really leading on these things at the same time because I think there's really great opportunity there with new, um, new political dynamic in play, trade agreements being written, that sort of thing that I think it could be real helpful right now.
3: Yeah. I learned a few things, uh, Rohan, at the meeting, because many of your peers, as is Dana and Michelle spoke about, and what they talked about is, yes, we can do packaging, reusable recycling, you know, 100% renewable energy, uh, using continuous process rather than batch testing, you name it. But the innovation is what's about and that we need regulatory agencies to prioritize those innovations, right? Because many people like yourself are trying new things to be, say, more environmentally focused. And yet, it's not always easy because it's costs money and time and then there's regulation. So I think everybody needs to work together, including the regulatory agencies, the government, to work towards those goals. That's what I learned from the meeting, which is really helpful.
4: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very good point. And the reason I'm actually ho- hopeful is because it's evident. I mean, everyone sees this. I mean, it'd be different if this were a choice, you know. I mean, in a way, the ship has already sailed, I mean, and, and we're trying to kind of get on it as desperately as we can. But the packaging piece is an important thing, you know, because, I mean, something that people don't pay as much attention to and, and you know, across the industry, not just in ours, everywhere, there's a lot of investment in packaging and much of it is, is, unfortunately, creates a lot of waste. But the point that you bring up with regulators is actually a really important one, you know, because we said, you know, where can government help? Because if you start looking at sort of sustainable packaging, you know, whether that be using alternate materials and all that things that may not have necessarily been approved you know through through, through regulators and so on right. this is where we really want collectively as an industry to work with the regulators and and sort of make this happen because we can't we may have to kind of figure out a different way of approaching things when it comes to packaging when it comes to sort of how we develop our products yeah. And this is where the whole paradigm has to shift, and it has to evolve. And and really, I mean, as I said, it's not as though there are there are a whole bunch of choices, you know. So I'm 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 somewhat yeah. optimistic about this.
0: And I I think you're absolutely right. I mean, even just from package inserts, which are incredibly important to regulators because they include all the labeling, all the directions, all of this is very important. Um, and yet the sheer volume of the waste um, that that creates in prescriptions each year is, is huge. So we we need to find ways that we can be flexible and ensure patient and product safety, but at the same time, mm-hmm. um, protect our environment. And we're going to have to prepare for the tide of retrofitted um, sustainability measures or post cost sustainability measures, which Need to not necessarily be sent back through the regulatory process again for reapproval because that would simply clog up the entire system on unnecessary work. So we need to find some shortcuts um, that are going to be critically important to get this done. You no, know, on my
3: end as a healthcare provider, I used I was a CEO at Duke Health System. Uh, you know we can do a lot more because hospitals are another big energy intensive area uh and uh, looking at how to do things better, not only in construction, in waste reduction. As you know, in healthcare industry, one-third of health services are waste, you know, so we can do that and energy savings, a lot of things, right? I mean, you know, every building's got the lights on all night. So do you really need to have all those consumption electricity and energy production? So We have a lot of work to do, but I think what I'm hearing is we need incentives, right? Uh, We need metrics. We need incentives. We need to be measured. So I know that in your industry, ESG is now becoming a big issue, right? Investors saying, well, what is your ESG strategy? But I think eventually we need to have a standardized metrics for measure. Everybody, just like in healthcare, I said about quality earlier. We measure safety and quality. Every hospital, every board has a committee look at how we're doing there. So we need to have those things being measured. And then we need incentives, maybe value-based purchasing, providing incentive for behaviors that is related to environmentally sensitive issues. Things like that is really important.
0: And Victor, I'm so glad you mentioned investors because activist investors are really pushing this topic in a lot of our companies and you know and so we discuss this whether this is a choice or an opportunity to wake up it may be a demand um sooner rather than later um, by investors around your board tables
4: and interestingly the new generation of our employees are asking for that that's right i mean I'm, i'm so glad that there is this awareness in the generation that's coming up and uh and they, in fact, I mean, has come up during interviews, and in terms of sort of what is your commitment? I mean, these are very bold questions, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm just so happy that that, in fact, is is it's really uh, it's it's going in that direction.
0: Yeah. If you're going to be competitive for STEM talent in the next ten to fifteen years, you're going to have to have a plan that's compelling um, to those individuals.
3: So, Michelle, I'm, I'm counting on you in particular, but also Rohan and Dana and everybody else to say, I know you've got a sustainability strategic plan in this, but to have everybody agree to be measured and to set some goals together. That's what I'm trying to do with the healthcare delivery side. Hopefully with your help and with the help of Pharma and others, we do the same because that's the only way we're going to meet those goals. Yeah.
0: No, it's a great challenge, Victor, and you know, figuring out how we measure um, in a way that compares apples to apples is is a huge challenge. And I think, Dana, you can speak to this. We'll turn the tables on you for a moment. Um, you know, but some of our other sectors are a little bit farther down this pathway, and they've struggled with this, have they not?
1: Yes. I'm- sustainability is is a popular word and a and in many ways a loaded word and that the metrics are varied across sectors right so I think an ob- there's an obligation to, to think about consistency and approach there it came up in Victor's meeting a couple of weeks ago it's come up a lot sometimes companies develop their own singular uh, metrics with their s- supply chains that are different from another company's metrics on a supply chain. So I know our government is thinking a lot about that. President Biden is, Secretary Vilsack is, others are uh, as well. So I think it's a very important point. I also think that there's such an opportunity to partner together across the broad biotech family in support of these green incentives. Um, There will be opportunities to address those in legislation that will be moving. We've worked through those um, in the farm bills of the past, for example, to incentivize green manufacturing uh, versus petroleum-based manufacturing. So I think it would be great to think about expanding our coalition beyond sort of the the agricultural circle to, to really a broader set of interests who are saying, hey, we have to be working on this together uh, from a public policy perspective. So I'm really excited about um, what we can do at bio to help you, Dr. Zhao, and, and really help our current administration uh, and Congress think bold, boldly.
3: You know, the other thing I was thinking, you guys do a great job in uh, a media, uh variety of methods to emphasize impossible in innovation. What the industry has done, brought to human health, and uh, life-saving you know, treatments. I think we need to do a major campaign to the public about climate. And of course, it's going to take a lot of resources and expertise. There again, I hope that we all work together on this together, so the public become more aware. When public is more aware, there's more likely to be, so we say, policy changes, legislation... They can help us get there,
4: and some of it sort of needs to. I mean, I mean, I fully agree. For initiatives like this to really work and succeed, there has to be joint learning. You know, I mean, I think we want to avoid this thing of reinventing. And uh, really, if companies come together, as as they have, you know, I mean, I can speak of in in our industry, they have a number of occasions. Uh, I, I just feel that, that that is rather impactful. You know, one of, one of the things also to remember, uh, particularly for pharma and Victoria you alluded to that, when it comes to developing sustainable processes, you know, our, what we have found out is, first of all, in, in, interestingly, it's a win-win situation uh, because, you know, there's been some anxiety around the fact that, you know, this is adding so much cost and so on. And actually, it, it's actually quite the contrary. You know, first of all, you, you are doing a great service to humanity as far as figuring out how to manage your waste. Because, I mean, you know, as we all know, when you generate waste, it, it doesn't just go away. You have to pay a lot to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the process, what, what also happens is if, you, if you're implementing some of these tools is your cost of production goes down significantly as well, you know. So go for business, you're you're helping you helping the yeah. environment. I mean, I mean clearly that should be the top priority. But you know, one one of the other aspects of it is you know you are also being able to produce things at, at a significantly lower.
3: I think you know, that's not bringing COVID as an example. Yeah. As you know, during COVID times, a lot of healthcare went digital, telehealth, yeah. and you can see the surge in the use of telehealth. But the energy consumption has gone dramatically lower. And if you ask patients, many of them love telehealth because it's more convenient, right? It's certainly less expensive. So I think that aligning these interests is actually going to make healthcare better and better health. More prevention, more taking care of people at their homes, and having to travel to the office when you're really sick. So I think this is all aligned. In my opinion, The whole idea of value-based purchasing is along the same idea of outcomes, but we can add uh, environment and climate to this equation as well. And I think it can be done. So certainly talking to CMS, the payers, et cetera, to encourage the idea of looking at not social determinants only, but environmental determinants of health.
0: I love that and you know I think about the critical supply chain shortages we're facing right now in trying to ramp up production for COVID vaccines. We're hearing mm-hmm. from cell and, and gene therapy companies that they're having trouble getting filters and pipettes. And you think about what if 5 or 10 years ago we had engineered sustainability more into our basic R&D, would we be and our production of our medicines would we be facing these same sorts of shortages. We can't even produce enough of the disposables or the consumables to make the medicines we need to make. So we have to find a new way to make them.
1: So I know we have just a few minutes left and I thought it would be a good ending to think about a call to action. Um, What, we've talked about. We've referenced many calls to action in this conversation, but if, if there's one that you could leave with the guests who are watching today, what would that, what would that be? Maybe Dr. Zhao, what, what do you think?
3: Well, I said earlier that uh, our aspiration in terms of our action collaborative grand challenge is to bring everybody together to work together towards a goal and therefore being able to measure, being able to uh, perform in order to reduce carbon emission. That certainly would be, for me, the call to action. All hands on deck, everybody that goes all the way from people in the front line in healthcare to people like yourself who are producing amazing products, supply chain, working together along with regulators to give incentives and facilitate this. And Rowan, what do you think?
1: So inspire I think, us.
4: Uh, uh, well, I, I think this—the core message, you know, which has come out through this discussion and everything else that has happened—that clearly, a climate crisis is a health crisis. You know? and this is, has to be reiterated over and over again. And frankly, I, I think there needs to be companies are really coming together. I mean, you know, for all the time and effort that we've invested in innovation, this is where innovation is most needed, you know? And I, I, I think we need to put all our energy behind this. I, I actually want to applaud Bio, you know, for the work that you've done, you know, working with Congress, sort of trying to set sort of energy standards, working on clean energy and so on. And all of us need to kind of get onto this because as I said, this is not a choice. You yeah. I mean, I, I look at it in, in, a way, in some ways, industry needs to look at this as this is our duty, you know, to future generations if one can say that. Okay. Michelle?
0: I have a very simple call to action, which is when you go back to your companies, start the internal dialogue about how you can do things in a more sustainable way don't wait until tomorrow or next week or next year. Let's all start today, this week, this month, to have the conversations. Can we do our work in a more sustainable way? Because it's so critically important to health and that is at the mission and heart of so many of our companies. Well,
1: oh, perfect. Um, I- that was a great conversation i want to thank each of you very much for for the tremendous dialogue extremely relevant discussion we have lots of work to do but i know we're all up to the challenge um i want to put a call out to everybody watching, particularly the companies out there who aren't members of BIO, you should join us and get engaged on this climate action journey with a broad set of stakeholders from, from corporate America and, and throughout the, throughout the community and communities in which we live. You can go to BIO.org and, and check us out. So thank you all very much. Um, appreciate the conversation.
0: Thank you for listening to I Am Bio. We will be back in September with a brand new season.